Never then together Saturday morning rewinds here. A really great podcast. Saturday morning rewind is here. It's Tim Nidell and Gary Lane talking about cartoons every night and day. Saturday morning rewind is here. Hey, Toonsters. Flint here from G.I. Joe. I can't bring up the laser threat weapon system. Lady J, get your battle gear on, because Cobra's on their way. And we gotta get out of here. And now, back to the show with Tim and Gary. Yo, Joe! You know, that intro has never been more fitting than for this episode that you listen to right now. And by the way, this is Saturday Morning Rewind. I am your host, Tim Nidell. You can find me on Twitter at Saturday Rewind. And I'm your co-host, Gary. You can find me on Twitter at SMRGary. This episode, I say this quite a bit, and I'm not lying, <laughs> is one of my favorite episodes that you're about to hear. So congratulations for finding the episode. It's a, a huge treat, I think. Um, I kind of want to do something different for this episode, so I reached out to Bill Ratner from G.I. Joe to see who he thought would be a good panel to talk about G.I. Joe. So he reached out to a couple buddies of his, um, and on this episode we have... Bill Ratner, of course, he was Flint. Okay, what in the name of sanity are you people doing here? This is a restricted area. We have Mary McDonald Lewis. She was Lady J. Gung-ho, take Zartan to the cell. Doc, Recondo, Stalker, find that bomb. And, of course, Neil Ross as Shipwreck. Oh, sorry, can't take it, Flint. I was killed in action during maneuvers. The three of them join us for this episode to talk all about G.I. Joe. And there's actually, I know quite a bit about G.I. Joe, but there's a few things in here, actually quite a bit that I learned today on today's interview. Yeah, um, me too. One of my favorites was that Neil was talking about how they set certain guidelines about the commercials they would be allowed to show during G.I. Joe. I won't yeah. say much more about that, but that, that, it was pretty cool. What was one of your favorite things about the interview? Well, I was actually going to bring that same thing up. Uh... Aside from that, just you know, they're they're so much fun to listen to and 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 to interact with. Just the three of them, it's well, much like you, it's one of my favorites as well. But uh, before we play it, I do need to plug the website SaturdayMorningRewind.com. A lot of cool stuff on there, so please follow us on there. We got Facebook links, uh, Twitter links, YouTube links, all that fun stuff. Check it out. We have also a donation link on the very first page of the website. If you like what you hear, you know, it, it, this thing isn't free. I got three kids to feed. So if you like it, you know, you know, throw a couple bucks here and there. We'd greatly appreciate it. And uh, this August, we are very excited to go and be a part of the Big Disney Convention in Anaheim, uh, the D23 Conference. It's going to be a lot of fun. They're, they keep trickling in little bits of information about what's going to be happening. And based on the most recent information... It's going to be a great time. So if you're in California, be sure to look us up. We'll be walking around the convention. We'll be at the park. Yep, and we hope to see every one of you there who can make it. But anyways, without further ado, here is our interview with the G.I. Joes themselves, Bill, Mary, and Neil. Hope you guys enjoy it. G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against COBRA, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. G.I. Joe! 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 G.I.
So let's let's start off with a, a real quick G.I. Joe roll call so people know who we're talking to here. Um, can I get you guys to say your name and the character you played and possibly give us a little bit of audio sample of your character? Sure. My name's Mary McDonald Lewis, and I played Lady J on G.I. Joe. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. This is Bill Radner playing Flint. Listen, Lady J, we gotta get out of here because Cobra's on their way in. I can't bring up the laser threat weapon system. On it, Flint. We got a vamoose. Yo, Joe. Joe! <laughs> How many times do you guys think you said Yo, Joe in your career? Uh, well, a gazillion, I think. <laughs> First, I'm going to start off with a little backstory about myself and my childhood. I... If I have to say there's one cartoon that defines my childhood and brings back the best memories of my childhood, it would have to be G.I. Joe. I mean, it, the toys were amazing. The characters, the show was amazing. I'm still in love with it today. So thank you so much, both of you, for coming on. You're so welcome. I'm, I'm, I know Billy and I both feel, and, and all the guys on G.I. Joe, feel um, lucky, surprised and lucky that we were able to enhance your childhoods because voice actors are really just big kids at heart anyway. And so for us, making your childhood a little bit happier, um, we get that because we were as into cartoons when we were kids as you guys were. We understand their importance. I mean, if any of the voice actors from Crusader Rabbit were still alive... Oh, God. I would be freaking out to, uh, to meet them, to hang out, to go with their, wherever they were giving autographs. But um, I had no idea. I mean, you know, we recorded from the end of 83 through 85, the 50 episodes that were done in this country. And then we had the Screen Actors Guild strike because producers were asking us to do things that were beyond the contract. And uh, Deke Enterprises said, if you strike, we're taking us to show to Canada. And uh, so all of a sudden, starting in 86, the episodes, you know, everybody was sort of wart in a boat like that. They dropped, <laughs> <laughs> they dropped virtually every character except Destro and Cobra Commander, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I and, said we should have uh, Neil Ross here. Just, Hello, Neil. Are you, you, but you, you aren't a Canadian, but you sound Canadian. I'm a little suspicious. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a former Canadian, so I'm uh, familiar with the problem. But I've been an American since I was 18. Hang on, my cell phone is ringing. <laughs> oh God! I thought that was my pacemaker low battery alert. <laughs> so anyway, so so yeah. Um, I just wanted to say that at that time I suggested, and nobody picked up the ball. I said we should have taken out a full page ad in Variety saying "G.I. Joe, the All American Hero with the All Canadian Voice." Yeah. Yes, we should have. I would have paid. For, I would have helped pay for it. And um, but we had. I had no idea. So we really basically finished. Neil, were you were you done? Was your character done, or did you do some more with the Canadians? No. Once uh, once it went away, uh, that was the end for me. They killed off about ninety nine of us, and um, including, I believe, you know, Duke and Scarlet and everybody else. And um, I had no idea until Mary uh, and I got an invitation to go to some JoeCon somewhere that there was even any interest at all in the cartoon, let alone <laughs> fan groups and fan pages and 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 GI JoeCon put on by Hasbro to this day. I had no idea. It was all happening without our knowledge. Yeah. And and so it's fun. I mean, this is Tim, this is a long-winded response to your uh remark about how much it meant to you as a kid. And you know, cartoons meant a lot to us as kids. They were just 
different cartoons. Clutch Cargo meant nothing to me as a child. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know? um, but, you know, the Disney stuff and Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. And, and Warner Brothers, for sure. Neil, um, who were the voices on Crusader Rabbit? Lucille Bliss, was she Crusader Rabbit? Was she the voice? Mm-hmm. Of course, you're asking me, I am not familiar with that show. Uh, if you like, I'll ju- jump on IMDb. But uh, you, grew, you grew up in a foreign country, sir. I, think <laughs> I, I want to make the point that I have been a loyal American citizen since the age of 18. <laughs> and, and how, and, how did you feel at 17, Neil? And wore the uniform of the country for two years under oh, protest. Yeah. Under protest. You are a true American, sir. But I... One of the one of the things that uh, Shipwreck and I have in common is we were both in the Navy. Hmm. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So what what drew you, if I may, Tim? If I may, just completely take over here. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> what brought you to the states? My parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I was uh, twelve years old and uh, didn't have a whole lot of say in in the matter, <laughs> and so. Uh, Actually, I I thought it was a wonderfully exciting thing to go from Montreal, Canada to uh, to, to Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Oh my! That's and the stuff then, dreams are made of. Yeah. And then you became you became natural, Neil, on the radio. I listened to you when I first came here. No kid. Yeah, I, I try to forget that phase of my uh, <laughs> my career. Like, I have a a, a forty seven minute uh, tape of outtakes. I'd like to start right now. <laughs> First, he I became have, naturalized, uh, Neil, and then he became natural, Neil. Yeah, I have a, a a check in front of me, and I'm willing to make it out for a sizable amount if you will burn that tape. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tim, what else would you like to ask let, us, my let me, friend? Let me, thank, let me thank Neil, since he was a little late for coming on. Neil, I'm a huge fan of your work. and Yeah, I want to apologize for my tardiness. It's just I'm a total Luddite with this stuff, and I didn't realize I had to accept your ah. You know, once I did that, we were good to go. But I was sitting here looking at a dead uh, Skype thing. and wondering <laughs> Ironically, you guys are all three of my favorite G.I. Joe's. Lady J., Flint and Shipwreck were my top three G.I. Joe's, so this is amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I always say that when I go to these various events, uh, you know, thanks to folks like you, Tim, I never really had to have a real job. <laughs> uh, Tim, Tim, I'm going to assume that my answer was pre recorded and that I do not uh, have to reprise the spontaneous brilliance that I did. 3.5 minutes ago, is that of correct? Course. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're good. <laughs> you also don't have that much sincerity in you, Billy. <laughs> I, mean, I believe Gary has our first question here. Yeah, so we, we've heard a little bit about Neil's past now, but uh, how did each of you get involved in G.I. Joe? We had the same parole officer back in uh, 2013. <laughs> and, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, we all, were co- our agents called us, uh, in um, in the fall of uh, 1983, if I'm not cor- if I'm not mistaken, um, if I'm not correct, mistake me. Um, <laughs> well, and, and it was just another audition, which I thought, well, this would be a day or two on a on a little cartoon. And I remember meeting Mary in line, and there were probably a hundred of us outside of Wally Burr recording on uh, Coenga Boulevard West near near in Studio City, California. Everybody um, came out for it. It was yeah. nuts. Yeah. Actually, by that by the time you got to Wally's place, it was Ventura Boulevard. <laughs> how, 
Well, I was, dr- I was drunk that day. That's probably why I got the job. <laughs> a local Los Angeles anomaly, Cahuenga Boulevard West suddenly becomes Ventura Boulevard without you actually doing anything except going around a curve. Right, exactly. I went on was... a lot of, lot of curves in my career. But um, if, <laughs> if you think back, and I can't remember, Mary, were you with Donna Lee Davies or were you, did you have another agent? I was with Donna Lee Davies. Uh, I went over at the same time Billy went, actually. Okay, yeah. well, that see, that was the connection, because somehow uh, Donna Lee Davies, rest her soul, passed away uh, uh, quite a few years ago, but mm-hmm. she was a, an agent, a smaller agent, uh, but she somehow ran into Wally Burr, and he took a liking to her, and he said, uh, listen, uh, I'll be happy to audition any of your people that you want to send over. And that's how we got in there. I'm not sure that we would have ever come close to having a crack at, at this show without uh, Donna making that contact with Wally. That's, that's a new story. I didn't know that. Had I known this, I would have treated her much better near the end uh, <laughs> of the term on this, on this planet. But yeah, I, I did not know that either. And, that's an and amazing so, story, Neil. I mean, Tim, th- th- so we got calls from our lovely agent, Donna Lee Davies, of the Donna Lee Davies Agency, in, in the early fall of 83, saying... You have an audition for a Hasbro cartoon named G.I. Joe. And we showed up, and here were literally a hundred other actors. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, all the, all the big names at the time came out for it. Um, I was actually meant to uh, audition for and, and ostensibly be cast for a, a different character who was, in fact, a one-off. And as Wally, whom I had never met before that day, I knew Neil and Billy prior. Uh, I'd not met Wally before. I don't know if the boys had. And he heard something in me that he liked, and he kept asking me to step further and further from the microphone and the, and the music stand, step back further and further, use my voice more and more. <clears throat> and one of the things that's interesting about that show in particular <clears throat> is that um, cartoons, this, these were some of the early cartoons where sort of natural voices or, or largely natural voices were used. Mm-hmm. The, the character development that we brought to the mic had to do with a shift in vocal placement and possibly what was going on in the mouth, a shift in, in pitch and tenor. But none of us became, you know, sort of little animals. We were, we were all humanoid. And um, I think that, as well, this was one of the early shows where, from the, point of, from the, from the perspective of interpretation, we were allowed to be as loud as was humanly possible. Um, something that we came to regret after five-hour, six-hour sessions. But um, this wasn't fake yelling. It was absolutely real yelling. And I think that one of the reasons Wally cast me as Lady J was because I was willing to really go there on that audition. As I recall, I don't know what you guys remember, but I didn't. I wasn't called back. I don't think there was a call back. I think I was cast that day hmm. I think that's correct and and um, you know w- w- what Mary mentioned just a moment ago about the style uh, is really significant and I think as the, one of the reasons for the incredible popularity of both G.I. Joe and Transformers mm-hmm. is the style of voice acting uh, changed Wally Burr and Hasbro and Sunbow uh, made a decision they knew they were going to do a gigantic rollout of toys the biggest uh, since the FCC uh, was started in the 1930s, uh, President Ronald Reagan, after the 1980 recession, 
had gotten the FCC deregulated vis-a-vis children's television. So for the first time in history of television, uh, the advertisers and the merchandisers could have at kids for as many minutes as they wanted with uh, action figures and dolls from the show and so on. And so Hasbro uh, uh, created a gigantic rollout of toys and figures in anticipation of both Transformers and G.I. Joe. And along with that uh, came either accidentally or on purpose mm-hmm. the desire to create a more real-sounding, human-sounding, ensemble-sounding, military-sounding show that wouldn't do what Mary was just making fun of. The little g-g-g-g, we're snarkies and perkies and we're purple. They wanted real women and real men in in relationships with each other in a military setting and and you know on the homeland and so on and so uh, a new kind of cartoon was born that was really uh, American cartoon realism of the eighties and it was really yeah. I think probably the first that they'd ever that had ever been done. About yeah. the only restriction that the FCC put on children's television was you could not advertise the toy on the show that the toy was related to. Oh, really? (laughs) This is why there were two shows, Transformers and G.I. Joe. The Transformers toys, the idea was it would appeal to the same audience. And the Transformers toys were marketed in the G.I. Joe episodes, and the G.I. Joe toys were marketed in the Transformers episodes. That way they did not violate the... uh, The law, but they essentially marketed to the same audience. But to to, to sort of uh, piggyback on what Bill said, I've often said it's sort of like the Beatles, not that I'm comparing what we did to what they did, but the whole (laughs) became greater than the sum of its parts. Sure. And I think perhaps that was an accident. I don't know. I mean, these guys were looking to make a buck and sell toys, but somehow they put together a team Mm -hmm. that wound up creating something that was perhaps far, far better than what they, the big shots had envisioned. It became something that could stand on its own, and, and obviously the fact that it's still remembered and revered 30 years later, you know, that's, yeah. that, that's no accident. The, well, you know, I, the team is the accident, but yeah. You know. Exactly, and, and a lot of that, of course, was uh, the brilliance of, of Wally Burr's casting and, and his direction. Um, the writer, the writers, and the writing was was um, very very strong. The fact that we all got to be together in one studio, as opposed to simply showing up and reading our lines in the clear, is something you don't see anymore. And it was um, fantastic. It really, really, really made a difference. One of the things that that I want to note about kind of the the, the alchemy, particularly of the writing. This is something that that uh, Billy and I have kind of hypothesized around in the past, and that is that the the women's roles were unusually strong, both the uh, villainous and and um, the uh, female heroes. And we think that there's a very good possibility these writers who were young at the time were the sons, largely the sons. There were no female writers that I recall of second wave feminists so they grew up with mothers who had grown up with Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem mm. and it was a different and it was uh, certainly one of the first waves of fully educated women coming out of college and then having children so 
whatever inspired these these male writers, young male writers, to create these really powerful roles that resonate today uh, with both men and women, I also think that was a part of the magic. And we knew this. We knew this because of the way they dressed in soft pastels, <laughs> simple open the knee skirts, sleeveless blouses. These guys were artists. <laughs> and, um, no, it's interesting. I mean, they brought in. Uh, you know, th- there's. Um, there's a cartoon writers union here, but they brought in guys from episodic TV, and uh, they really wanted um, uh, to spend some money and to get some some decent scripts and plots going. And the the challenge for them was um, there were many many characters. I mean, the more successful the shows got, both Transformers and GI Joe, uh, the more action figures they wanted to sell, the more characters they invented, and it became complex for the writers. Um, so they really needed a, a strong team, and I think that Wally was probably chosen, not only because he was ridiculously inexpensive, but um, no, I'm, I'm, I don't want to. I loved Wally; he's a good, he's a cool guy, still around. Um, but he was, as he would tell you, the youngest tank commander in World War II, mm-hmm. and had a military background, and was a strong director, and uh, was able to get that kind of vibe, a military vibe out of his actors and uh, yeah you know when you when you when you read Pauline Kael's the Citizen Kane book about Orson Welles great movie they talk about it being an accident RKO Studios brought Welsh and Welles out he was a radio guy they they, they raised some money I don't know it's going to be a B picture uh, uh, they did some experiments with burying the camera in the floor and shooting up and all kinds of things it became the greatest uh, picture in the history of uh, Hollywood and um, with G.I. Joe, uh, it was similar. It was kind of an accident of the technology. They had to avail themselves of anime techniques in Tokyo, which were not being done on American television. Panning, tilting, and zooming were not done on American animation uh, tele- TV. Disney knew how to do it for film and had the budgets. American uh, cartoons, the budgets were too low. And um, so with a combination of Tokyo anime uh, techniques in the visuals and and great acting and wonderful old character actors from 50s television who got cast as some of these guys uh, characters uh, it became a cool show uh, I'm, I'm sure that you guys get asked about your favorite moments with G.I. Joe uh, but what about your favorite moment together just the three of you uh, do you have any like favorite stories just involving you three well, there was that one time we're not able to, to talk about it now. Because, uh, I, I can't. I'll have to close my ears. Was that the time at the Safari Motel on uh, Olive? The very one, my friend. The very one. Definitely, <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. Good times. Do you guys remember yeah, we, the early days when Wally was still on Ventura Boulevard and he had this uh, studio and there was a nice big parking lot in the back? And uh, but he had this crazed landlord who occasionally would get mad at him, and suddenly in the middle of a session, everybody out, get these cars away! I, I'm going to have everyone towed. Uh, heroic men and women would uh, shuffle off and get in their cars and go up and down Ventura Boulevard, desperately trying to find a place to park. Do you remember that? I, I believe I was a part of that. I believe I had to move my Volkswagen bug out of that lot at least once. <laughs> right. He had a very angry neighbor, right? Isn't that right? Yeah. I thought it was his landlord. That, that was my memory. The guy that owned the oh. whole shooting match would occasionally 
get mad at Wally for some reason, and that was his way of punishing him. You can't use the parking lot. <laughs> my, uh, my my lawyer just texted me. He's listening to the show and uh, yeah. uh, advised me not to discuss anything that happened outside the actual walls of Wally Bear recording, including in the parking lot itself. <laughs> so I think we should move, move very quickly. On. I, I'm just um, sort of curious if Mary and and Bill share the same sort of mindset I have because I work both shows uh, they've, they've all s- uh, sort of tended to blur in my mind and when I think about it it's a gigantic G.I. Joe Transformers session and everybody's there yeah. and it's, it's just sort of this you know I, I can't I can pin down certain things that happen but a, a lot of it is just like a just a giant uh, it's a mashup, isn't it? Mashup of, of both shows in my mind. Well, I, Neil, I think you did you did more Transformers than I did. I just did a couple of episodes, and I know that I played um, Flint's father. Is that possible? Or or did I play Lady J's father? And explaining yeah. to Lady J to to Flint and Lady J's illegitimate daughter, who became a an officer and a, and a dangerous operative, uh, dangerous in the, all the best senses. Um, that that she would succeed. This is grandpa to, to granddaughter. And he, he, Mary, you and I, as Lady Jane Flint, learned this only recently, that right. we in fact did have an illegitimate child, yes. a character on the show who appeared in Transformers, That's whose right. last name was Fairborn. Yeah. My, Flint's last name. Hmm. Yeah. But, Tim, to answer, to answer your question, I do remember uh, somebody lighting Michael Bell's script on fire as it spoke. <laughs> um... <laughs> Because he was always, he was Duke, the voice of Duke. Uh-huh. He was always trying to leave. Uh, I've, I've got another session, Wally. Is there? No, just get back in the booth. <laughs> and, and did he deserve having a script lit on fire? Probably. It's still, it's, yeah, exactly. That's still up for debate. <laughs> and, and, of course, in, in the show itself, in the context of the script, Lady J and Flint, which probably preceded the, the, uh, uh, the procreation of this illegitimate child, uh, and I'm not making this up. Did have a a, um, a sunscreen scene on top of GI Joe headquarters that was, I thought, very, very grown up and sophisticated uh, for, for children's television. But it was the age. Three million mean, little kids. boys, their first experience of love, sweet love. <laughs> yeah, th- this is true. We're not making this up. And and I, and I there was this is the '80s. These were writers who were who were out of control. There was a, you know every everything. Every negative thing that's ever been said about Hollywood is true. These are people who are trying to to pass their amoral and unethical lifestyle off onto the children of America. Godless lifestyle. It got nipped in the bud, and this is mainly a a, a good, wholesome a series of fifty cartoons that you can buy from. Well, I have my I have a little set. Um, uh, you can buy the first two years. Um, I was going to say, going way, way back, I, there was at least one woman writer involved. I wish I could remember the last names. I can't. There was a husband and wife team, Pam and Dennis. And oh. I, don't, I don't have the last names, but they used to come to sessions. They were possibly the only writers who actually came to watch sessions happen. Uh, I'd forgotten so I that. there was at least one woman writer involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And, and Billy and I did have another steamy scene, Billy, in the... Um, we were being we were in a diving bell, I think, being pulled up pulled up to rescue the guys had gotten us out of some jam or other and 
there was a, or, or or we were being airlifted into a helicopter. In any way, we're, we're we're kind of hanging off a rope, and there was a great deal of togetherness as we rose up through either the water or the air, and that was pretty steamy as well. There was actually a scene with Lady J, where she discovers that she is kin to Destro. Yeah, I do remember that. And she's she's being suspended over over a stewy swamp of monsters that's bubbling away in the family castle in a negligee, as I recall. Do you remember that, Tim? I do. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty that was pretty steamy. And there's a lot of guys across the country who when I go to the cons have been very um, very kind and very respectful, but have also let me know that I was kind of their first crush. I would have to agree with that. I mean, to me, it would be Wonder Woman was my first one. Linda Carter was my first yes. crush. And then I would probably say Lady J is a close second, maybe third. That's a, that's a good... She's, I think, a very good um, character to be crushed out on uh-huh. because she's strong and smart and... and um, wasn't fetishized the way characters today yeah, are, are exactly. fetishized as sort of ambulatory blow-up dolls. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Disney music fans, the time has come. It's the Neverland Battle of the Disney Bands. Your vote will determine this year's top five Disney songs. Vote now at poll.neverlandpodcast.com. That's P-O-L-L dot NeverlandPodcast dot com. And listen to the Neverland Podcast to see which Disney band rises above the competition. Now, back to G.I. Joe. Okay, so I know you, all three of you played amazing characters on the show, but sometimes it's always more fun to play a bad guy, right? What character on the Cobra team would you be if you could be a Cobra for one day? <coughs> Cobra Commander, Cobra Destro. Uh, which, which one? Arthur Burkhart played Destro. And uh, isn't is that correct? Yes. And Chris Latta played yes. Cobra Commander. Isn't that right? Oh, All right. Yeah. Good one, Mary. Good one. Either one of those guys. <laughs> Either one of those guys. Well, I actually got to be a bad guy in the show because I played Buzzer, uh-huh. one of the Knox. Oh, that's right. And Michael Bell was the evil twins. Remember? Right. That's right. But I, I always, what I liked about Shipwreck was, unlike most of the other characters who were either very good or very evil, he sort of, uh, <laughs> uh, he was basically part of the Joe team, but he danced with the devil on occasion, and that's what <laughs> him possibly the most interesting uh, character I ever got to play. Wow. I, I think I played a, a chef, an unnamed chef, Chef One. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was cook, cooking the grub for the Joe team, and I invented a whole backstory for him that I probably would not be appropriate for. Him. So in, 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 in my own way, I, I did play a bad guy. Yeah, sad, sad man. <laughs> I think more than bad or good, conflicted characters are more interesting to play. Okay, yes, agree with me, fellow actors and actresses. Oh yes, indeed. Uh, I I don't think I I might have played incidental bad guys on the show, but um, but I do recall a scene that I that I enjoyed this very day of three characters speaking to each other, and they're all me. 
Wow. Uh, uh, an abuela, an, an aging, very concerned Hispanic grandmother, her little grandson. Oh, there were four characters. I played the grandson. I played the granddaughter who was in trouble. She'd like fallen on the wrong side of the street. And, uh, and the little grandson who was still innocent and Lady J. And uh, we were all in the same episode together. And one scene finds us all talking together. That reminds me of a story that I, it's a, it's a little complicated, but people seem to enjoy it. And that was the time that uh, Wally Burr accused Frank Welker of overlapping himself. <laughs> I have to explain overlapping. They, they don't want you to jump on the last syllable of a previous actor's line because they might want to slide the lines around for animation purposes. So no matter how dramatic the scene was, you had to leave a nanosecond of silence between mm-hmm. your line and the previous actors. If you, if you jumped on them too much, that would, that's called an overlap and they'd make you do it again. So Welker is playing a scene. He's playing both characters. And Wally almost never looked at us. He always was looking at the storyboard, which was a pictorial representation of what the cartoon was going to look like. And then that, that was his job. He didn't need to look at us. So Frank is such an astonishing talent. He is ripping through this thing, playing both parts, jumping in and out of both characters at lightning speed, and about midway through the scene, Wally gets on the button. He goes, no, nope, no, nope, stop, hold on. We just had an overlap. <laughs> and it's all Frank. How did it be an overlap? <laughs> we did holler. Wally oh, very embarrassed, you know, and felt bad. But, I mean, that was how fast Frank was moving. Wally probably heard an overlap. Huh. Wow. Oh, boy. Wow. We've talked about a little bit about the plots to the story before a few minutes ago. But don't get me wrong, G.I. Joe is still an amazing show, but you have to agree some of the storylines, or most of the storylines, are a little cheesy and a little far-fetched. Like, I remember a time you guys fought, like, Egyptian gods and trying to escape a giant funhouse, and, I mean, you guys were even rock stars in one episode. <laughs> is there a crazy episode that you remember? Well, the Egyptian gods comes to mind. Good, good pull yeah. on that one. Yeah, I mean, I think that... You know, I think the goal was to was to fight to to overcome gigantic odds and uh, and yet somehow not kill anybody along the way. And uh, they just had to keep they just had to keep raising the stakes. I think even over the course of just fifty episodes. I don't have uh, I, I have very specific memories of a lot of the sessions and the people. The plots all sort of blurred together um, because when you're acting. You're, li- you're living it a bit like you live life. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk in the door and there's, this isn't what am I buying? And oops, I dropped my credit card. And who is that woman staring at me? Oh, she thinks I'm cute. No, she's holding a gun. She's robbing me. Wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, you're, you know, you're sort of living in the moment. And that's and uh, that's, how, uh, that's how my experience of, of those two years uh, went. And so I, and I'm not, I'm one of those people who goes to a movie and I can recall visuals, and I can recall actors, but I don't recall plot. That's why I'm not a member of the Writers Guild. Um, but that, that's how it was for me, is, is, is just sort of embedded in my character and getting the voice and, and, and uh, doing dialogue with the other characters and listening to their performances. And it did not, that experience did not involve uh, much memory of, of the actual plots. The thing that I do remember is being handed the 
the uh, a series of scripts for the public service announcements. Oh, yeah. That's right, Bobby. It's mean to throw a an ancient medieval mace at your mother's head. Don't do that. <laughs> peace, baby, peace. Uh, that, you know these 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 wonderful uh, sort of corny PSAs that that adult fans have pointed out to me recently that that uh, were actually very helpful to them as children, teaching them ethics when their parents were off in divorce court, and. Um, <laughs> So, the, the, and there's wonderful send-ups of those on YouTube. Uh, but Flint did a bunch of those, and I think I asked the producer, it was a different producer from a different department uh, at Hasbro. And I started to say, do I get paid extra? And he read my mind. He said, no, you do not get paid any extra for these. And I said, well, what are they? And he said, well, they're standalone PSAs that are going to run maybe before, during, and after the show on children's television because parent groups are upset that we're showing a military show for children on TV. Mm. And this is going to sort of be a sop to them in the FCC that uh, that this is really about personal ethics and morality. And I remember that scene very quickly, uh, or very, very clearly, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the... I think I do remember being attacked by a prehistoric uh, velociraptor <laughs> and and I, I had my only weapon was a two by four, and I was able to hold him off. And and while he was screaming at me, "You're being killed by a velociraptor! Scream, raptor, scream!" <laughs> and so I had to do more than uh, uh, I had to do. Ah, 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 and uh, I'm very proud of that that work. <laughs> to to learn to learn more because B- Bill is right. The actor tends to focus on the moment and, mm-hmm. and not necessarily the big picture. But I, I recently did an appearance. You were there, Bill. I think uh, at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. Yeah, uh, where they screened the first ever public screening of the GI Joe the movie. Right, and uh, Flint Dilly was there, and he went into a lot of explanation about why some of these storylines happened. They were so hamstrung about with things they couldn't do because they were constantly uh, being hounded by these uh, various uh, parent groups uh, about about the show being too violent and this and that. And so they, they there were a lot of areas they were forbidden to go into, which sort of forced them to go to fantasy land. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. He can probably tell you a lot more about that. Than, obviously, he can tell you a lot more mm-hmm. about that than I can, but that, that's a partial explanation. Okay, that makes sense. For some of that was that's very, cool. uh, uh, I didn't realize, and we were, it was a fun thing. Mary, you were, you were invited, but you had to go back to Portland or you would have been there, but uh, there was a good uh, handful of us. Duke, Michael Bell was there, and and, and Neil, and myself, and a few others, and uh, writers and producers from uh, Sunbow and Hasbro. And it was a screening of the Transformers uh, cartoon movie, animated movie, and G.I. Joe the movie, uh, which was made in 87 with John, John Johnson. went down to the set of Miami Vice and recorded Don Johnson's voice. Flint had very little to do with it, but um, this thing had screened once, if I'm if I remember right, at Comic Con in 1987 at some suburban theater, and they were they had to bus people out there to get them to see it, and that was the last screening that was ever given in public of GI Joe the movie, until three months ago at the American Cinematheque on Hollywood Boulevard at the great old Egyptian theater. And uh, uh, one of the reasons, if I'm not mistaken, Neil, was Duke dies in the movie. 
Well, that, yeah. that was the thing. They, they, what happened was they did the Transformers movie, which in subsequent years has attained a following among the fans. But at the time, they hated it because uh, Optimus Prime dies. Mm-hmm. Right, yes, that's right. And that's what right. they were doing, if I remember Flint Dilly's explanation correctly, they basically wanted to kill off all the major characters and replace them with new characters to sell more toys. Right. But what what they had done, they didn't respect their their characters. They didn't respect the stuff. The kids love Peter Cullen. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, now we we realize how huge Peter is. But even back then, when I would go somewhere socially, and there were kids, and yes. somebody would say, "This guy uh, does uh, uh, Transformers," the first question out of their mouths: "Tell me about Optimus Prime, the actor. Is he a big guy?" And I would lie my ass off. I'd say he makes Schwarzenegger look like you. <laughs> In fact, Peter Cullen at one of these sessions did say. Um, I said, Peter, you had an on-camera career. I said, yeah, yeah, but, you know, if I'd been six inches taller, I would have been huge. But, uh, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, when, when Paramount decided to do the live action, the first live action uh, G.I. Joe picture, they wanted Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt. They wanted somebody else's Optimus Prime. And there was a huge fan groundswell of protest. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, thousands of fans wrote in saying, we will boycott and picket your lousy Paramount live-action G.I. Joe movie if Peter Cullen does not play Optimus Prime. Well, Peter Cullen played Optimus Prime. Mm. Well, just, just to, just to uh, continue with the, the, this explanation, the, the Transformers movie did not do well upon initial release because once word of mouth got out about Optimus Prime and other beloved characters dying... Uh, you know, the kids stayed away in droves. Right. Meanwhile, we're doing the G.I. Joe movie in which they did the same thing. They killed Duke off midway through and replaced him with Don Johnson, who, you know, was huge in Miami Vice. But how many 13, 14 year old kids got to watch Miami Vice? Not many. So to them, he was a non-entity and, and their favorite character, Duke, gets killed. Anyway, uh the 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 GI Joe movie never became a movie because the the Transformers movie had done so poorly they just turned it into a mini series and it ran on television oh. so uh, whatever they showed in the theaters was sort of stuff that was cobbled together on Blu-rays and I I don't know what else but uh, you know looking back it was just so, again they were doing the same thing killing off the major characters so they could make room for new characters and new toys but honestly I I, I thought you know would the would the uh, producers of Miami Vice kill Don Johnson halfway through their movie and replace him with Michael Bell? <laughs> with all due respect to Michael Bell, I don't think so. I think Michael Bell ended up with a better career, as that's a partial answer. Uh, yeah, I remember showing up for the uh, recording of the movie, and all of us were scanning through the script, and I had two lines. Yeah, me too. Wow. Lady J had the second most lines of any character in G.I. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah. And well, I had two... You guys, you guys beat Shipwreck had four lines. Jeezy P. It's a wonder you aren't still working today. I was in tall cut. <laughs> <laughs> so we asked some of our friends on Facebook and Twitter to come up with a question for you all, and I just picked uh, a couple of really good ones. Uh, at James Ashley Eleven asks, "Do any of you have any GI Joe collectibles?" Yes, I have 
a shampoo that my daughter gave me with a with a flint screw top head. I have I that to you. I have a, a GI Joe poster. I have a one GI Joe action figure, and I have the uh, the two year the fifty episode set. That is it. And when I uh, when 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 Mary and I, uh, Lady J and I met uh, all these collectors and cool cool uh, men and women who who uh, are GI Joe fans at, at GI Joe Con in Indianapolis a couple of years ago, I thought, what a moron, what an idiot I am. And one guy kept bringing like. Well, I just figured that out now. Yeah, <laughs> long time. That's part of the idiot syndrome. It takes a long time to figure out. Uh, you, you you grow self reflective as you get older. Um, and one guy was bringing like, uh, you know, uh, pillowcases full of stuff for us to sign, and it was fine. I didn't care. And I said, "Are you selling some of this stuff?" He said, "Yeah, I'm paying the rent this month, man." Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. So I, I have I have just a few you know treasured things that I'll never give up. Uh, or never will to anyone. They'll be buried with me. Uh, <laughs> but I foolishly did not collect as much as I should have, just for the fun of it. I have a couple of shipwrecks that fans were kind enough to give to me, and I'm very grateful. But that's about it. I did save a bunch of scripts, and I just gave them to a lady who uh, who's busy getting them autographed by as many actors as she can and then she's going to auction them off and all the money will go to uh, animal rescue oh nice oh that's that's our dear friend uh, rosemary rosemary ward rosemary is in charge of that and uh, hopefully i'm not sure how she's going to go about it but uh, she'll get it done there is one uh transformers movie script and uh hopefully she can get that signed by all the biggies and Make some money for the animals. Nice. Yeah, she and I. She and I had a little difficulty because I had suggested it go towards actor rescue rather than animal rescue. <laughs> she didn't seem to see the difference, but you know. she yeah, she refused to give a dime to the Neil Ross Home for Unwed Disc Jockeys. So <laughs> <laughs> that's on her. Uh, sh- shout out to Rosemary Ward, by the way, from all three of us. She's she's an awesome, awesome sort of archivist and keeps the flame alive. I learned what cosplay is from Rosemary, who showed up at G.I. Joe Con, dressed as, like, the coolest Western gal I've ever seen. Yeah. And, uh, she and her I sweet said, husband. I said, dear, uh, uh, Halloween was a couple of months ago. She said, this is known as cosplay, Bill. Oh, Cos- man. Oh, God, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I showed up at, at uh, Long Beach Comic Con with you guys, dressed as Flint. I'm yep. in cosplay now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Billy, I, I think... I, a late middle-aged actor. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thus, <laughs> save the actors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Billy, I think I gave you that Flint shampoo, didn't I? Or was that your daughter? Well, you're young enough to be my daughter. Right? <laughs> that you know of. Um <laughs> I might have given you that shampoo. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. It's possible. But, I, I've romanticized it. I've. I've made it a, 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 a more of a family story. But you may very well have given it. <laughs> Given that you have no daughters, I'm calling it into question. <laughs> <laughs> not that I know of. <laughs> oh, I have one daughter who just got uh, made a couple of grand. Was flown up to uh, Silicon Valley to do baby cries for The Sims. Oh man. <laughs> So she is alive and well and, and performing. She made her she made her uh, her insurance in the Screen Actors Guild last year. Good for nice. her, man. Oh, cool. 
I have a couple of original Lady J dolls from the day. Uh, one was from my sister, and the other one came to me. I'm not sure how. So I have those two dolls. Uh, we have Billy and I have beautiful masks made by a man in France of of our likenesses, Flint and Lady J. And then we were given, as a consequence of being <clears throat> in Indianapolis, each of us was given a box of um, of the 25 anniversary 25 year anniversary reissue. At least I got of the Lady J doll, and so mm-hmm. when I fall on hard times, those will go on. The, you'll see those on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I have two. I have two cards out now, uh, out in the world. I see them. One as Lady J. I see people selling autographed Lady J cards. And then I also have an autographed card as Frau Pech, which was an on-camera character I played on Grimm. And so I get these notices because I vainly have Google notices. And um, and <laughs> I'll see a Lady J card up for sale, and then I'll see a Frau Pech card up for sale. It's a very strange, strange life. Well, I'm, I'm, I've decided what my future is going to be. I've always wanted to be at the county fair. And the Comic-Cons, large and small... Are, are are somewhat like the county fair and uh, only air conditioned, and I, I I think I'm going to be one of those voice actors in in my Flint costume and my gray beard, sitting there with cards. And I think I'm going to let uh, GI Joe fans sell their stuff on consignment. I'll take 25 percent of the gross. <laughs> hey, yo, Joe! Hey, fans! Yo, Joe! <laughs> at, 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 come by on the half hour. I'll be doing. 15 seconds of dialogue, if I can remember it. <laughs> so 22 of the script that Neil Ross gave me. That's our future, and you think I'm kidding. Uh, like, like in the movie Galaxy Quest, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. there are some of us already out there That's at the right. Comic-Cons with pictures of ourselves, and I think this is what the future holds, but this is better than uh, prison camp, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, our, our other social media question, our friend Christy on Facebook asks, and this one's more for Bill and Mary. I don't, I don't think that Neil was involved with uh, this, but you both returned to G.I. Joe in 2014 for an episode of Community. Uh, what was it like returning to the franchise after so long, and uh, was there a difference in the uh, recording process this time around? Well, we went in separately, and Michael Bell also came in, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the uh, the dialogue was awesome. The um, uh, the final look of the show was just incredible. I was delighted to be there, and yeah. it just reminds me that when you know when the fans ask for a uh, a remake of GI Joe, featuring the original voices, you know, listening to that community episode, I think everybody sounded pretty darn good. I think that we could mm-hmm. still get out there and, and, and do that show. I had a blast. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, the people who created Community also have an animation wing in their production company out in Burbank. And these are, uh, you know, guys in their early 40s, who the perfect demographic who watched G.I. Joe as they grew up. And Joe McHale, who played the lead in the series, has a nightmare. He's stuck in a G.I. Joe episode. And this is when it was still on NBC, and it was it was later canceled. I don't think it was our fault. Um, but it was, it, was, it was really, really fun. I mean, I, uh, I got a call um, 
from my agent who's saying, we got a call from Seth MacFarlane at Family Guy who wonders if the man who did the voice of Flint is still alive. Oh, jeez. And she said, yes, it's Bill Renner. We, 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 uh, we represent him. So Flint ended up on uh, uh, the Fox premiere of Family Guy and then in Robot Chicken and Community. I'm, I'm waiting for, for Flint to appear uh, on Desperate Housewives. <laughs> good kind of a good news bad news thing <laughs> it won't be because they don't want you <laughs> all right so let's get another and we're coming on an hour now so i don't want to take too much more of your time um let's say that you guys were in charge of a, a brand new live action gi joe movie forget about the other two that came out who would you cast as your character Live action, Neil. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to think about this. So you boys. Yeah. Live action. Mel Brooks, I think, should play Flint. <laughs> <laughs> Senior brigades. Uh, that's a tough one. I was really disappointed in the last one because Flint was. I know he was a disappointment. I know, seriously. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Dwayne the Rock Johnson got it. Got all the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you see, what I would want to do is what they won't do. Rather than picking up somebody famous who they would crowbar in, I would like to fill it with unknowns so that you could really yeah. believe you were seeing Shipwreck exactly. or Flint. As opposed mm-hmm. to, oh, it's so-and-so from Breaking Bad. He got another job, you know. Um, uh, but they always go with the, with the names. I would go with um, Ellen Page for Lady J. Okay, I can see that. I think she'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you, Neil. I, ultimately, I completely agree with you. But I think Ellen is still developing enough as a as a uh, mature actor that she would bring something interesting. And again, you know, my issue with with Lady J and the other the other piece. I mean, I think her athleticism was was terrific and. And I think she did a great job, but I think she was hindered by uh, galloping sexism of the Hollywood kind where uh, yeah. she wasn't allowed to be a fully formed human being, but, but merely a projection screen for male fantasies. And I think Ellen Page would resist that mightily and be awesome. I'm, th- I'm thinking Fl- uh, Flynn should be played by Ben Stiller <laughs> and, and that there should be a huge cartoon component of, of, some, a lot of you know, the original if Hasbro would, would cooperate. Some, uh, uh, you know, there should be kind of like, like community, a real world, a cartoon world, back and forth, and Ben Stiller, you know, really, really, uh, sort of bulked up and, and military, with grit in his hair and sweat and big guns, you know. Billy can't think of any young people right now. <laughs> I actually think Ben Stiller is a really good choice. So. <laughs> so, yeah, and in typical Hollywood fashion, Ellen Page would be his girlfriend. Yeah. There you go. I'm liking this casting so far. Do you guys have anything you guys want to promote? Any uh, upcoming events? Any Twitter accounts or anything? I am appearing at the American Library Association at the Independent Book Book Publishers Association booth 3028 in San Francisco on the 27th and 28th of June to sell my book, Parenting for the Digital Age. That's right. Which has got a huge chapter on uh, Mary's and my visit to G.I. Joe Con and the history of Barbie 
and uh, Neil Ross's secret history with Lady J that I could never discuss before, but it's known. <laughs> there you go. Buy the book if you want to know the whole story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Neil? Well, I just was the announcer on the AFI Life Achievement Award uh, salute to Steve Martin. Unfortunately, oh, nice. you missed it. However, <laughs> there will be a rerun on Turner Classic Movies. They're going to do a whole day of Steve Martin movies and then follow that up with uh, the AFI show. Unfortunately, it's sometime in July. I don't know the date, but I'm sure if you... Uh, Go online and uh, consult your local listings. You will uh, you will be able to see it if you want to. When I hear stories like this, I, I feel nothing but rage and jealousy, and then <laughs> and then followed by just a bit of admiration. Uh, Mr. Ross, Neil Ross has so, some of the coolest credits in the world, including being in the movie as an announcer uh, of, of Dick Tracy. Uh, starring starring uh, uh, Madonna. Who did who did you who did you base your character on? I remember your performance in that movie. Well, that's amazing because I'm visible for about a second and a half. But uh, on but set, you were, doing, you were doing an old like Edward Van Voorhees or something. Actually, it was H. V. Kaltenborn. <laughs> of uh, course, it was. When I when I was cast, they said, "Can you do H. V. Kaltenborn?" And I said, "Oh, of course." Uh, I might need to hear a tape to refresh my memory. <laughs> I mean, I had heard the name, but I had no idea what he sounded like. So they they found <laughs> some tape for me, and it was astonishing. This was back before, or when television was in its infancy, radio was still a big deal. This guy had 15 minutes a night on the NBC network, coast to coast, doing news and analysis, and he had this incredibly affected delivery when he said the word Russia. It was Russia! In Russia day, Premier whatever the hell has announced. Russia! I, I read a book on Warren Beatty who directed and starred in Dick Tracy and he and his sister Shirley MacLaine were raised in the Washington D.C. area and he has always been a bit of a political junkie. I bet he listened to Elton Bourne when he was a teenager. As a boy, yeah, right. So that's what he wanted. So I had this strange sort of overdone delivery. <laughs> and it was a very cool, it was like a pastiche, a quickly edited pastiche of old announcers, like the trope of the old spinning newspaper comes out and the headlines and so on. This was a great tribute to the old-fashioned announcers. Yeah. And I said, "Why, well, there's Neil Ross, a new fashion announcer playing an old-fashioned announcer." <laughs> well, actually, everybody was. Walker Edmonston was one of the guys, and then uh, John Mashita, the guy that uh, did the fast talking <clears throat> in the commercials, he was one. And then the fourth guy was uh, somebody that that Beatty put in there. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't know what's happened to my voice. But, but, but I mean, to Tim, to answer your question, we're, we're all all three of us continue in voiceovers. There's no accounting for taste in the world of advertising. <laughs> And um, Mary's most interesting credit, and then I'll let her speak uh, to that, is um, a tranquilizer called, what's it called? Lunesta. Lunesta, oh, big really? national class A campaign. Lunesta, because you know we know uh, that America needs Lunesta. I'm actually whacked out of my skull on that stuff right now. <laughs> I still have more samples in the trunk of my car, Neil, so you know where to find I'll be right over. <laughs> the Lunesta spot was it was an old school, you know, you know, platinum clad class A contract, one of the last of its kind, and was a couple of years of very, very good living. What I like is the notion of pairing it with um 
with my other job, I was the uh, uh, the longest, uh, first and longest working union voice uh, in in the then emerging world of speech recognition. Uh, working on a project, secret top secret project called Portico, which then became Serengeti, which ultimately became OnStar. Oh, wow. And and uh, the reason that GM hired General Magic, General Motors hired General Magic in Silicon Valley to provide the platform for their car, the very first speech rack, functioning speech rack in, in automobiles, was because they wanted the voice. Okay, Mary, and, I'm going down the 405, and I'm just about, <laughs> just about to miss uh, the Long Beach exit. Tell me what to do. Take a Lunesta, follow the wings. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, you know, I love, I love combining the two. In my world coming up, uh, let's see. Keep your fingers crossed, everybody. I have an audition for one of my favorite animation um, programs, Archer. Oh. I have I have an audition today. Uh, they want someone who sounds very much like a Lauren Bacall character. They want her specifically speaking in a Mid Atlantic accent like this, and so I'm I'm very much hoping to get that job. I'd like very much to achieve the uh, to achieve employment with Archer and all of his friends. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, my work as uh, as internationally known dialect coach continues on Grimm, which um, we are back from hiatus on the 7th of July. So anytime you hear language, accent, or dialect on Grimm or any one of a number of uh, film and television projects in the world, that's me as wor- at work as dialect coach, mm. which is a, a job I dearly, dearly love. It's very... Very close to my heart, and uh, in terms of relevance and importance, I also get to handle all of the esoteric and dead languages on Grimm. Anytime uh, an ancient text is open, anytime hieroglyphics are spray painted on a on a wall in in you know graffiti spray spray painted there by an Egyptian monster returned to life, I get to work with leading Egyptologists to produce um, hieroglyphics that I can guarantee are correct. I work in uh, Latin, in Euskara, in all manner of, of esoteric languages, whether they are tattoos on a bad guy's back or, um, or a letter from Nazi Germany, any one of a number of things. So I love doing that, and I see it as a continuation of my love of language, which had its inception in voice acting. So that's my life. Very, that's very nice. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys so much for coming on. This has been truly amazing. I always get my guests to close a podcast as their character, can I have you guys work together as a, for an ending, if that's possible, as a care as your character? What would you like? Actually, I would like to do the uh, the shipwreck PSA that never got on the air. Yeah, you you do that, and then me and Flint will work yeah. something. Hi, kids! It's your old pal Shipwreck here. Remember, the next time you're arrested for drunk and disorderly, give them somebody else's ID. <laughs> Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. (laughs) All right, Lady J, pass the SPF 50. When you and I did the sunscreen scene on top of G.I. Joe headquarters, it was SPF 15. You burnt the heck out of my backside that day, baby. I got your back, Flint, and I think you know what I mean. Okay, boys, all together. Yo! 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 Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.